This is Purpose City, stories of humanity in action, presented by Executive Wealth Management. Guests on Purpose City do not necessarily reflect an endorsement of Executive Wealth Management. Я син степів, а серце партизана, на мене жде з побідою весь край. Сьогодні нас Карпати зустрічають, а завтра знай, Волинь вітає нас. Звідсіль підемо просто аж на Київ, щоби звільнити Very nice. It's just a little bit of a song of resistance uh, that uh, starts out with a, a, a fight, freedom fighter saying, go away from me, my loved one, but don't forget me. I have to go and defend my land. And uh, so it's, it's very pertinent today, even with so many women and children that have been fleeing the violence in Ukraine. They've had to leave their country, but the men are staying behind to fight for their freedom. Wow. That's powerful, which is the case for your brother, is that correct, Oksana? Yes, he's staying in Kiev and defending his country, and my sister with her daughter left, and reluctantly, they didn't want to leave, but they had to save themselves. Yeah, and, and they, from Kiev? From Kiev, yeah. And uh, where do they flee, flee to? Oh, they crossed many borders. First, they stay just in West, Western Ukraine, Carpathia region, and it was, they seemed safe over there but her friend with whom she left wasn't feeling okay and she said let's go further and they crossed <clears throat> first um went to romania and then austria then so right now they're in italy i don't remember how many they made it to italy <laughs> they made so, it to so italy how do they finally. travel by car by car yeah, car and uh, how are you? How do you keep in contact with them? How do you keep updated like that? Oh, there's a Viber, Viber um, app which helps us to oh, connect. So we talk every day. I check on her every day, and I'm asking her. Does to that go? Me. I mean, this, does that go outside of then the uh, the communications are being bombed and that kind of thing? But these apps, you're able still to communicate in the country. Yeah, so far. I, I actually uh, was on a conversation today with an organization called Access Now, which uh, supports digital security and uh, throughout the world. And they were saying that still uh, some, uh, there is still a lot of access to Internet, but usually when Russian forces occupy a region, almost the first thing they do is try to cut, cut off communication. all mobile communication. So do you hear from your brother then? Brother-in-law. I, oh, I'm I, sorry. I don't communicate with him, but my sister does, and I'm asking and about him from her, and 
she says that she, he doesn't share much information with her, at least not bad one. <laughs> also says everything's fine. <clears throat> I'm okay. In his communication. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to be supportive, like emotionally supportive to her. But obviously she's trying to support him too. Right. How often do you hear from your sister? Every day. Every day. Every day. That's 28 days wow. <laughs> in a row as, as long as this yeah. work comes. What other family do you have then? Well, my that's my closest family, my sister, but also her um, mother-in-law over there. But my cousin left Kiev, just next to Kiev in Zhutomer region they, with two small children. They actually wanted to leave for Poland, but the line was so long with cars. They stayed for you know, many, many hours. Like I don't remember exactly the number, but they decided to return and just go back home. Really? To Kiev and then to Zhutomer um, region. So if they're in Italy, um, where do they... Do they know people there? What what do these people do? Somehow they found uh, her, well her friend with whom she left. Uh, she's a um, veterinarian. Veterinarian, thank you. And she found a job somehow, probably online, and they invited to come. But also some other people let their live in their house, which is somewhere on a Tuscany region, which is actually very beautiful and they're just staying in that house they have room to be and nobody told them how long they can stay there so far they're okay so it's, it's horrific circumstances but that's probably the best case scenario right because then there's millions that don't have a, a house to stay that's in. also true but i heard stories just one of people i met just recently said that they have house or maybe apartment in poland and they just let people to stay there because they support Ukrainians in this tough situation. Right. And and do you hear that's pretty um, open in that most are being received that way when they're crossing the borders, that they're being welcomed or there's people waiting to feed them, give them a place to stay and this kind of thing. That's amazing how supportive people are because yeah. everyone understands this situation and trying to help and support people from Ukraine. Yeah. And it's amazing. I'm so thankful that it, People like that exist in the whole world. It, yeah, I, I would I would say that that is uh, you know so uh, heartwarming Warming. that um, you know the the Polish nation in fact has already had about a million Ukrainians living in Poland who went there for work because the economy hasn't been great in Ukraine. And here's an additional two million coming in. So they've been very generous. There's stories of. You know, I, in, in some ways, yes, her, her sister and niece, they're, they're fortunate they had a car to get out, but there's mm-hmm. train loads of people coming in with nothing but a suitcase or ones that escaped cities that are under direct attack. And there's uh, poles that are just have, holding up signs saying you need a place to stay. Um, you know, you can stay as long as you want. Obviously, that can only last for so long for sure. because at some point the capacity of the country to accept mm-hmm. so many refugees is, is going to be, uh, it, it'll be strained. And I think that's where some of the big agencies are kicking in or even uh, organizations such as Lifeline that are, that are helping with, with feeding and meals because uh, people are coming in uh, hungry. There's stories of people uh, having, you know, days of, you know, trying to get through on trains, walking across the border, right. spending uh, a whole bunch of time where where everything's uncertain. Uh, other countries too, you know, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, 
Moldova, uh, uh, Romania, they've all been very generous as well. So did I hear over here you say that you were there as early as last October yes. in Ukraine? Yes, just to visit and we're lucky we did this. Yeah. In the feeling there, there's always a tension with Russia, but was there a feeling that this was um, soon in coming and that this kind of crisis was close at hand? Or was there just kind of a calm that things were going on as normal, not, as normal can be? Not on the streets. It was completely normal. Restaurants open, cafes, people around walking very freely without any tension. It was completely fine. Uh, there was a kind of a weird normality because, as you know, R- Russia, in fact, invaded eight years ago when right. it occupied Crimea in 2014 and then later essentially started what it claims was a civil war in eastern Ukraine. But that was pretty localized and far away from from Kiev or a lot of other big cities or, or the rest of the country. And so it dragged on. It was this kind of war of attrition of sometimes there'd be more military activity or shelling, sometimes less. You'd usually you know, learn of a few soldiers every week being killed through sniper fire or artillery shelling and the like. But for the most part, for a lot of the country, it felt like it was somewhere distant, distant right? So... Um, in Kiev, while there was sentiment of saying we, we, we want this war to stop, we want you know Russia's uh, unfairly invading us, it didn't hit everyday life. <laughs> the fact of them coming in militarily, bombing cities was a total shock to everybody. And I think even though U.S. intelligence was saying uh, it's coming, it's coming, and you know when Russia started having its military exercises and claiming that they were just exercises, but with, you know, we heard the figures of 150,000 troops kind of in various parts of Ukraine. I think no, nobody in Ukraine really thought that it would actually happen. They knew mm. of the threat, but they thought that somehow it it just wouldn't. And it's so, impossible to something like yeah. that to happen. Well, the, the idea of we're in the 21st century of a, a nuclear power just going and starting this kind of brutality is, uh, you know, even now it's hard to process yeah. that it could happen. Yeah, and we're in a generation of people, but myself included, that this kind of rhetoric and um, this kind of actions is usually, you know, something from history books. Yeah, mm-hmm. not something uh, on the current news. Yeah. So Audra is here from Life Christian Mission, as you mentioned. And what does your organization organization do? And what happened yesterday? Yeah. And what do you continue to do in situations like this? Yeah. So Lifeline Christian Mission has been around for over 40 years now. Um, We established ourselves uh, as an international mission organization, beginning our work in the country of Haiti, uh, simply focusing on educating children with Christian education and planting churches. And that's where it all began. And from there, uh, we started to branch out into multiple countries uh, so now we're serving in nine nations, in, uh, including the United States and Canada. And uh, so our heartbeat is really just to mobilize, develop, and empower people in communities, however we can do that. What we did yesterday with the meal pack was mobilizing people here in the United States to serve. So not only do we encourage um, our field leaders to mobilize people to serve within the country, uh, we encourage United States citizens and Canadians and whoever else we can get to, to serve and give back in a way in their communities. Um, but that will also bless people in other nations. Yeah. So yesterday was very impressive. It was the first time I had been in that. You guys know what you're doing. Get it under control. And what happened was uh, at Executive Wealth Management, Life um, 
Christian Mission came in, uh, set up what they do, which is helps uh, unprofessional people. We're professional people, but not in meal packing. <laughs> uh, not in meal packing for sure. Uh, quickly learn how to meal pack. Sure. You have a process. Mm-hmm. And we were able to get, I believe, 2,000 bags, which equals about 11,000 yes, meals yes, put together. Yes. So one of the areas of ministry that Lifeline uh, spends a lot of time on and we travel a lot of miles for is this meal packing ministry. Uh, we pack upwards of between 10 and 15 million meals a year. Wow. So yesterday, your group was a part of that uh, that number of what we will be packing this year. Uh, specifically, you all focused on packaging meals for uh, the Ukrainian refugees. These meals will be um, sent most likely to Romania or Poland. We are partnering with Feed the Hungry, who already has shipped our first container over. uh, And we are working on our second container with Love Does. That's Bob Goff's work. If you uh, are familiar with any of his books that he has written, we're thankful to partner with him and ship meals over as well. So yeah, we, we ship meals. I think now we're upwards of 33 countries where we have shipped across the world. Wow. And mostly fighting food insecurity uh, due to natural disaster or crisis like we're seeing now in Ukraine. Um, A lot of times it's to help people just get back on their feet. We don't want this to be a long-term solution. We don't want this to create a dependency issue. Uh, We we want to help create sustainability in community. But sometimes people just need a helping hand to get there. Right. And that's what we did yesterday. Right. Yeah. It was very good. It's a great Mm -hmm. organization. So, and I liked it because... uh, just hearing about it in media, we had a client want to come in and volunteer to help. Uh, local residents want to come in and help because people hear these atrocities happening. You don't really know what to do. It's on the mm-hmm. uh, far side of the world. Um, two great things came out of to pull Nick and Osana in to what we were doing. And even in these conversations, I'm hoping shows people that it's not the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all human. They're our neighbors and our neighbors have people they care about there. Yeah, And it's easy to help. It is. There's organizations set up where we can help. It takes, it's um, now they know of yours. Yeah. And it's easy as a Google search. Yeah. Frankly, and I found you guys on a Google search. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you did. and uh, But I, I feel like it's such a good even community building activity. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so now I know you, now I know you, mm-hmm. and I know Michelle. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've said anytime something else like this is going on, let us know. Because of that solidarity of all people, we're feeling it so strongly as Ukrainians, yes. and, and we need to give back too to um, other parts of the world that are that are suffering. Well, the thing is, is there's food insecurity everywhere, even here in the United States, and uh, it's it's a symbol of hope. These meals um, that we package are they're rice fortified meals. They're high in nutrition and protein, but it's also just a bit of hope for somebody that might not have a meal or two. Um, so we. We see um, and hear stories quite frequently of just how uh, it was an answer to somebody's prayers that they received these meals. And so we know um, that it's not just meeting a physical need, but more than that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so the, the idea of, um, you know, we all share the same planet. Mm-hmm. We're all human. We just speak different languages and sometimes wear different color clothes. It's about the sum of it. And um, that really is the the theme, isn't it, of the foundation you work for? Well, yeah, the I work for the Charles Stewart Mott Foundation. It's up in Flint, and its mission is to support a just, equitable, and sustainable society. And so we do have programming around the world uh, 
a lot of it in the United States when it comes to education, environmental programs. I work in an area called civil society. So we've been trying to support a uh, vibrant civil society in uh, in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe for for many years. Um, in fact, we did a lot of work in Russia itself until so what, what does that look until like? we were uninvited a few mm-hmm. years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what usually it means groups, um, nonprofit groups. You know, we kind of take them for granted in the U.S. that you know they exist, they're able to register, they're able to do their work, raise money. But um, in in a lot of societies that that is not that prevalent or doesn't come naturally. People give and people are generous all over the world. Make no mistake about that. But but often it's informal and that's good, too. But sometimes when we have a little bit of formality to a little bit of organizational structure, like, for example, we're hearing about Lifeline able to do everything it does. That's helpful then for people to find the way where they can contribute and they, they could do that. for humanitarian work, for social service, for uh, advocating, sometimes calling out governments to say, hey, you're you're limiting us, uh, protecting rights, uh, advocating for justice. So all these things are important, make up civil society. We 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 as a grant maker will give grants to groups who do those kinds of things. Okay, Mm. And, uh, you know, being a high level decision maker and planner and uh, being able to give grants to people. How did it feel to actually put your hands on some rice and, uh, fill some bags? Super. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you why, because, um, you know, it's one thing to work as a professional where I'm trying to direct money of a guy who passed away in 1971, Charles Stewart Mott left a big endowment. And now we have a whole structure that gets money to, to organizations uh, in need but that feels like just a job and professional. And same thing even in a personal life. It's a different thing when I might write a check or, you know, hit the PayPal button. It's a little bit impersonal. Um, the fact that I can come in and physically do something, it, it provides a whole different level of meaning to the process of, of contributing to the betterment of other people. Sure. I love that. I actually was imagining people opening those packages and looking at picture how to prepare those meals and they would speak Ukrainian, maybe Russian, but mm-hmm. still they would be from Ukraine. It felt so real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What a full circle moment for you all. Mm-hmm. Um, just imagining the people who would be receiving these meals. Yeah. Um, it could be somebody you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could be. That's, we're grateful for that again mm-hmm. so much. Absolutely. So what's its instrument you're holding? Well, it's called a bandura. You know, you... got a very nice sound it's a uniquely ukrainian instrument it um uh, it was in essentially a bard's instrument like a minstrel who and uh, the banduriste were uh, as, as we call them were, were very important in ukrainian history because they were the sources of news of uh, morality of you know in playing in squares and and speaking they uh and singing they would uh, provide some kind of uplifting in it, in it, to, to the nation. And, and if you think in times where there were, you know, centuries ago, there were no newspapers and the like, they, the messages they deliver of things that are going on, some battles that were won or leaders in society. Also, they did a lot of religious uh, uh, chants um, and sometimes just, 
you know, dance music to, to make people feel happier. Yeah, I asked you if you could do jailhouse rock. You, you said stairway to heaven. <laughs> well, I, I won't do stairway to heaven now. I wrote it up because my daughter really loved it. And I wrote up an arrangement because I sometimes I'll teach at we, we, we will hold. We haven't for the past couple summers because of COVID, but we would hold uh, bandura camps, summer ah. music camps. But uh, so, so the role of the instrument is quite important uh, in the kind of the history, and that, and in so much so that many times in history, uh, you know, starting with the Russian Empire and and later even in the Soviet Union. Uh, they would try to limit it. There was even one case in 1933 where they called a big uh, convention of Bandarists and actually took them out and wow. shot them because they 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 understood that. The, there's even a quote of a famous Ukrainian poet that said, "If you want to destroy the soul of the Ukrainian people, gather up all their banduras and burn them." Wow! You know, it's kind of that important. You, music is powerful. Yeah, that's a beautiful instrument. Thank you. And you either have very beautiful nails or you have something going on there to play it. Uh, I, I wish my nails were more beautiful, but I have to use finger picks yeah, because finger picks. otherwise. So otherwise you pluck that instrument. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a harp. Yeah, about that. Right. Exactly. But it's backed by wood, so it gives a little bit different, a brighter sound, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more dulcimer like sound than, than a harp would be. Uh, off the cuff, would you be able to close this conversation with uh, like a Ukrainian anthem that you know? First, before you do, I'd like to thank everybody. Thank you, Audra and Oksana. Thank you for our, inviting. Our thoughts and prayers are with friends and family. Yeah, thank you. Okay. And when you're ready. Okay. It's the first cut of the Ukrainian anthem. Mm. Uh, the Ukraine has is still alive, its glory, um, and its freedom, and so uh, that's being sung a lot. It's it's uh, very heartening that we hear like the New York Met sing it. The Detroit Symphony Orchestra opened with it in a concert last week. Um, Ukrainians aren't used to hearing their music uh, so much on, uh, on on that kind of a stage, uh, but but we're, we're we're very grateful for how much the world has uh, um, stepped up and, and is in solidarity with us. By the way, if anybody wants to hear a show of a, a, a chorus that I play in called the Ukrainian Bandarist Chorus, April second uh, at the Macomb. Uh, County uh, Macomb Center for Performing Arts, uh, 7 p.m. So if you can make it, please do. It's on my calendar. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks again. In uncertain times, our goal is to help you live with confidence. We aim to help you through each stage of life for generations and strive to reach your retirement goals. Our partnerships allow us to stretch beyond investing and planning, navigate the changing tax environment, coordinate your estate plan and asset transfer strategy to confidently leave the legacy you desire. All of this to help you live with confidence.